When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Rose kicks it out. Butler backs up. Knocks down the three. Oh, Jimmy Butler's a gamer. Well, say what you want about whatever he's gone through during the preseason, but he's covered the play. DeRozan for two. Spurs take the lead. 110-108. Just silky smooth there by DeMar DeRozan. The spirit was good. Um, you know, and it's, it's tough to win on the road, and you got to bring, and we talked about it, you have to bring that toughness on the road with you. You know, you have to get to loose balls. You know, the, you can make up for a lot with hustle. And so, um, that we, and we talked about that, you know, and, and I think we will as, as, as we go on here. But, you know, again, it's, it's a quick turnaround going home, you know, and we got to get ready for the next one. Gentlemen, we got Brian Windhorst here in about 15 minutes, too, on the Jimmy Butler situation. Uh, I got something for you guys. All right. A little, little either or that took over my timeline on Twitter for a while last night because I, I, I think I made some Glenn Taylor reference or, and somebody responded back with, well, the poll ads are 10 times worse owners oh, than Glenn oh. Taylor. So here's my question. If you had to pick either the Polad family or Glenn Taylor over a 10-year period to own your favorite franchise, you had to pick one of the two, who would you pick? Who do you trust more? It's not even close. Polads? Take the Polads in a heartbeat. I would take the Polads, too. I would, I would take the Polads and see if I could borrow Glenn Taylor's spending habits, maybe. Okay. Well, not but, saying not. I'm not. You know, I'm not going down the cheap poll ads route or anything like that. But kind of, I kind of am. But what I'm saying is, Glenn Taylor, at least to his credit, and I'd say this with, you know, <laughs> he he's at least to his credit, he's at least been willing to take risks sometimes, financial risks sometimes that I think that I wish the poll ads would have done one or two times yeah. during the Ron Gardenhire era when they were winning division titles and things like that. The only reason I don't give Glenn Taylor credit for that is because the NBA is is, is a salary cap league and it's so protected. Right. I mean, if you're an owner, unless you're drawing no fans and you've, you're bringing in no revenue, it's really hard, I would think, to outspend, right? I mean, in, in baseball, if you wanted to go $50 million in debt because you went up and over in a non-salary cap league... I mean, the Detroit Tigers did that, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for what, like two years? But the thing with Glenn is that I can't get past, and, and the Twins have had some faults, definitely. So I'm not absolving the Polad, uh, the Polad ownership group, but 
the thing with Glenn that you can't get past is the number of self-induced complete missteps that, mm-hmm. that you just shake your head at and say, this didn't have to happen. The Twins have made some some mistakes, and but the Twins' biggest fault is probably for too long relying on a group of people who were who were very good for an extended period at what they did, yeah. and then they weren't, and you didn't see it. But in Glenn's case, it's the repeated mistakes, and it's the repeated and the Garnett thing to me is is huge because it's mm-hmm. so telling. How do you you know what the Twins the Twins had a time period there where where. They had some pretty significant alumni get estranged from their team. Dave St. Peter did a marvelous job as an employee of that team of bridging those gaps and of saying, you know, Rod Carew and Harmon and all you guys, we want you back. But when you look at a guy who looks at Garnett and doesn't start one, but essentially starts two feuds unnecessarily in both cases, that's where I say to myself, you owning the team that I, I might want to cheer for makes no sense. Yeah, I was actually surprised by the amount of people that were siding with Glenn Taylor in this argument and just discussing online with people. And the main thing people kept going back to on the pro-Glenn, not well, pro-Glenn Taylor side is a little aggressive, but on the <laughs> anti-Polad side is, well, Glenn at least saved a franchise from moving in the mid-90s. And the Polads, Carl Polad, Attempted to move the franchise out to but Carl North saved, Carolina. But Carl saved him too in the eighty eighty four. Yeah, Cal, Calvin was desperate. Calvin Calvin had at least it came out uh, published reports that he had flirted. I think at the time with Tampa Bay. No, Carl stepped in and and at that time at least made a pretty significant save there. Yeah, it's also to your point too. The Twins have done a great job of not only not burning the bridge with former players and legends, but taking them, bringing them in, mm-hmm. statues and, you know, uh, days of celebration for Kirby Puckett and Harmon Killebrew, et cetera. And, the, well, the Wolves don't have a lot of great players, so that's <laughs> probably number one. Uh, and also, I would I would argue, too, on the side of the poll ads, yeah, there's been some really embarrassing seasons, but there really haven't been many super embarrassing dumpster fire situations there was the Joe Maurer bilateral leg weakness thing, but in terms of things that put you on the map nationally for being just utterly embarrassing, Kevin Love knuckle push-ups, laughing stock stuff, David <laughs> Kahn right. as your general manager, Agreed. oh my God, they passed on Steph Curry twice at the same position, right? right? And the Wolves, every single year, it seems like it's something that puts them on the map for all the wrong reasons, and the Twins, even when they're bad, they just kind of fade into the oblivion, right? The Wolves seem to have just a, lar- a bigger totality of just ineptitude and just awful decisions. They're a laughing stock. Yeah. They they are Terry baseball passed Terry by at least as far as the job that he had and they kept going to him which was a mistake. But Terry Ryan was never or is not or will never be a running punchline of a human being. David Kahn is David Kahn is an embarrassment yeah. of a person. Worst executive in sports history, that's what I've always said. He's he'd probably be on a top five to ten list for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing from last night, man, like it just. I know they were grinding it out and they were in there in the last minutes and they're giving it their all. Yeah. But so many things about that game just felt like the same mm-hmm. old, same old. You yep. had all summer to try and fix certain things. You bring in Anthony Tolliver to shoot three pointers and stretch the court, and he takes one three pointer in twenty minutes. Andrew Wiggins, I, so I flipped the game on a couple minutes after it started, and literally the first thing I see, literally, like, literally turn the TV on, 
And there's Andrew Wiggins, dribble, dribble, two steps inside the three-point line, pump fake, hand in his face, turnaround, contested, 20-foot jump shot. You had all summer to coach that out of him, and in the first three minutes of the first game, he takes that shot. There was no coaching that went on with this team. What are you talking about? There's been no coaching. There's been nothing that's gone on with this team. And Towns was Towns was grabby and fouly and was and and wasn't good. But even Carl Anthony Towns, okay, you've got this beast of a player. You just signed him to a max contract. He had like one touch in the first five minutes. He didn't, even, he didn't even touch the ball on some of these offensive possessions. You're, you're mo- not going to run the ball through him? You're, you know, all summer to figure this out. Your most important player right now, without question, is a guy who had four preseason practices and has no interest in being here, and that's the guy that you are going to absolutely do everything you can to make happy. That's your franchise. I'm, I, just, I'm just saving everything I have to say until 4.30 when I do my four deep thoughts. Okay. I'm going to dis- dissect <laughs> just about everything that bothered me last night. So I'm just... You're just biding your time. I'm, hold, I'm, I'm just, I'm just holding it all in right now, Phil. <laughs> the lead to the Star Tribune story about last night's game and Johnny K's story were both the same. Chris Hine has the greatest paragraph or sentence to describe last night's game, and this is how pathetic this team is. Chris Hine wrote, "The result wasn't a calamity, and that was good enough for now." That's the state of year two of Jimmy Butler. Well, even even Tom Thibodeau. Let's let's play this clip again, okay? This clip could have been played after any game last year. It's the I'll just play it. Tom Thibodeau on uh, what happened last. The year. spirit was good, um, you know, and it's, it's tough to win on the road, and you got to bring. And we talked about it. You have to bring that toughness on the road with you. You know, you have to get to loose balls. You know, the, you can make up for a lot with hustle, and so. Um, and we talked about that, you know, and and I think we will as 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 we go on here. But you know, again, it's it's a quick turnaround going home, you know, and we got to get ready for the next one. Toughness and hustle and grit. Toughness and hustle. It's the it's literally it's the same formula. <laughs> Wiggins long twos. Carl Anthony Towns disappears for a half hour, and Tom Thibodeau talks about how they lacked toughness and hustle and grit at the end of the game. And sometimes it's a close game. Sometimes they win, and sometimes they get smoked. But it's the, it's the same angst yeah. every single game going back to even a, a playoff season, a 47-win playoff season mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. We got to go out and be – he actually, if if you took uh, Tibbs postgame pressers and played them and, and you didn't mention the players' names or basketball, you would say to yourself, that's a hockey coach. If you just strip, if, if he you looks strip, much more like a hockey coach than a basketball coach. He does, coach. but if you but if you stripped everything out that gave you the indication of what sport was, it sounds like he's talking about hockey. It really does. Gritty hustle. We're out there working. Toughness. Yeah, everything he does, he 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 <laughs> might be Boudreaux's replacement because he might be, and you know what? He's far more suited to coach hockey players than he is 2018 NBA player. Do you think Boudreaux would connect better with, with Towns and Wiggins? Oh, absolutely. Oh, they'd love him. I don't him. know. They might hate him, too. No, I think they'd like him. <laughs> I, I think at least he'd give him a chance without saying, that's all. it's Jimmy's show. Jimmy, what do you want to do? Yeah. Well, if, if you could, just real quick, if you could pair one one current NBA coach with Towns and Wiggins to try and... Because the other thing I was thinking last night, as people dump on Carl Anthony Towns, and he he doesn't get the ball, and his coach seems to hate him, and right? And everyone... Everyone puts it on Towns, and I'm not taking it all off Towns, but if you had a system and a coach 
and players on the roster that all fed into empowering this guy to make to make him the centerpiece and let's 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 re- help him reach his max potential. Mm-hmm. Where would he be right now? Which coach would you choose in the NBA to get that out of him? Like a Mike D'Antoni, Brad Brad Stevens is probably the obvious one. D- D'Antoni was was the first name that came to mind for me because he would be I, I think Towns would thrive in that system. David Fisdale, who I really like, who got fired from Memphis. He's coaching the Knicks now. The Knicks the Knicks are not going to be very good, but they're going to be fun. They're going to play up tempo. They're going to be tough and have all the tenacity stuff that Tibbs likes to talk about. But I like David Fisdale a lot, and he was actually a guy that I wanted them to go after two years ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. David He's Yeager a, too is another one. David Fisdale has some LeBron validation too, right? Yep. Him and LeBron have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. From Miami. Yep. Uh, let's uh, let's talk. Some more Jimmy Butler and Timberwolves and Tom Thibodeau and company with Brian Windhorst. Get his thoughts from an insider perspective when we come back here. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and John. Ready! On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios before we get to Brian Windhorst. Uh, 494 westbound, we have a crash in Richfield. That's between Portland Avenue and Nicollet Avenue. Uh, prepare for about an extra three minutes in your commute. And 35W northbound, uh, Minneapolis, we have a crash between 36th and 35th. Uh, that is adding about an extra five minutes there. To be honest, I was surprised. You know, like from a conditioning standpoint, uh, I thought he handled his minutes uh, great. And uh, just wanted to make sure that, you know, he was getting a break. Oh, you know, not a whole lot going on here for Brian Windhorst to comment on in the Twin Cities, per usual. What's going on, Wendy? I'll be there in the morning. That's yeah. what's going on. <laughs> so, all right. What, do you think, is Jimmy Butler still going to get traded in the near future? Or do you think Tom Thibodeau has in some form with his mastermind gotten things to where he, where he wanted them as rocky as it was and now they're locked in and he's going to let it let it fly unless Glenn Taylor lets him go Here's the thing there's no mastermind here there isn't one person that comes out of this with a gold star yep. not Jimmy not not the owner not Tibbs not Carl Towns not you know Jimmy's agent nobody nobody's got clean hands in this whole thing. It has not been uh, a smooth process. Um, I, you know, Jimmy had his reasons for doing it the way he did it, but I, I you know, and the one thing about Jimmy you have to understand is ultimately, if he, as long as he avoids major injury, next summer, there's going to be a bunch of teams that come to his, his door with maximum contract offers. Um, he, the only thing that he's really suffering here is a hit to his reputation. His you know he's still regarded as a really quality player, um, but the circumstances of this just don't align for a trade. Because number one, we have a, a summer next year where there's a ton of salary cap space out there, the most it's been since 2016. And as a result, there's a whole bunch of teams that would rather sign him than trade for him. If this was a year ago where the market was much tighter, it would be completely different. Two, we have the coach. Last president, which is very rare, who is coaching and, and presidenting for his job. If this was a guy who had a longer-term contract, more rope, he could make a trade where it was for a draft pick or salary cap relief that would set the team up better in two or three years. Those are the types of trades teams want to make in this situation. You would have a more fertile ground for trade. 
that is not the case. And three, you have this bifurcated market. You have teams like Miami and Houston who want to require Jimmy Butler because um, they can't sign him. And then you have other teams like the Lakers or the Clippers who have cap space to sign him, and they're going to offer different things. So you can't get a real, um, a real you know race on to create the best package. So it's just it's not you know it's not a a situation that is set up to make for easy negotiations. And quite frankly, uh, I don't think, again, I don't think anybody's done a great job here, but I respect the Wolves for hanging up the phone because at the end of the day, they have the asset. I, I keep hearing people say, well, the Wolves have no leverage. Excuse me, they have the player. Of course they have leverage. But what, what they can't do and what Tom Thibodeau has made clear and Glenn Taylor has made clear, they don't want to take a step back. And it's very difficult. You know, they're trying to thread the eye of the needle on that. And so I respect the fact that they're going to hold the line on whatever they believe is the price for Jimmy. So what's your best guess, knowing how much you know about how this league works, Brian? Give me your best guess about how this plays out now going forward. Well, barring some other event in the league, and I have to say that just because we see stuff happen that changes circumstance. There could be an injury tonight in the league that changes the circumstance. But barring anything else, I think the Wolves will play 20 games. His history, both statistically and just with the eye, tells us after 20 games you know what your team is. And at that point, Sims will kind of decide where this team is going, and that will probably frame their decision. So um, I would think that we're looking at you know getting towards Christmas and between Christmas and the trade deadline. At the trade deadline, things everything changes. A whole bunch more teams will be interested in Jimmy as a, a pure rental, but the price will be lower than it will be today because you're not going to get the whole season. So at that 15-20 game mark, six to seven weeks from now, uh, I think the Wolves will pick a, pick a route that they want to go, knowing the way the team is playing. What, what's your perspective on Glenn Taylor? Because this, there, it's been 20 years of mostly – turmoil and embarrassment and a, and a fractured relationship with Kevin Garnett, the only real true star in this franchise's history. And all of these things have happened under the watch of, of owner Glenn Taylor. What, why, why, why is he, why can't he figure it out, Brian? What do you hear about him when you, when you talk in league circles? Well, he's very well respected amongst the owners. I don't know. Maybe it's because the owners know they can beat him. But he's the the dude in your fantasy league that you can fleece. So (laughs) he's very well respected amongst the owners. You know, Um, that said, uh, this is the third player in what fifteen years that's been a franchise player that's demanded a trade. Um, You know, Garnett, Love, and now Jimmy. Um, That's not a good track record. And frankly, what KG says about Glenn, I mean, you know, like. KG's opinions are what they are. I mean, he really is not an innocent bystander. They have beef right now because of the way their business deal went down after Flip's uh, uh, unfortunate passing. I really can't regard what he says. You know, you talk to older school people in the NBA, and they always remember Joe Smith. There's going to be certain people who think that was one of the most idiotic um, things that was ever done, that that was ever put on paper. Um but I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room. I don't know whose idea it was. But there are there are certain people in the league. You bring up Glenn Taylor, and they're going to remember that. Um, but that's what he is. He's you know I'm judging it more on the fact they've made one playoff appearance in 15 years. He's he hired David Kahn, which I know um, 
David Stern played a role in. But that said, David Kahn was one of the worst general managers in, in the last 20 years in professional sports. His, his mistakes only deepened by the day. It only looks worse. And he made that higher. Wendy, I think and, he's the worst in history. That's just my yeah, personal I mean, like, I think he's the worst in sports history. I can't... <laughs> I can't speak educatedly about every NBA GM or any NFL GM and stuff, but you know, so you know, some of the big decisions, the big things that happens, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well. That said, I mean, if there was a different, I mean, one of the things that I'll say about Glenn Taylor, he refused to sell the team to somebody who would want to take that in Minnesota, and there were several times where he was the team was up for sale, and there were other cities that wanted teams, and he didn't sell, and so. I, I can honestly say with a straight face, I don't think from a basketball standpoint he's done a very good job serving the franchise, but I can also honestly say to you that if it was a different man who didn't care as much about Minneapolis and Minnesota, that the Wolves might be gone. So, you know, it, it, it's not as simple as putting it in a sentence, uh, whether he's a good owner or not, because I think there's different ways to look at it. So part of the story here, or a bit big one, is that Jimmy Butler doesn't necessarily, Brian, like his young teammates. Tell me this, what is your and national perception of Cat? Because you, you look at Towns and you th- think to yourself that a guy like Butler w- would look at that and say, this guy's a phenomenal talent and I can attach myself to him for a long time to come. What is the NBA national perception, though, of Towns as a player, do you think? So, uh, first off, he was an all-NBA player as a third-year uh, man. Um, you look at the history of guys who are are on the all-NBA team, you know, the third team, but nonetheless, the top 15 players in the league um, at that age, and you're going to see a whole list of Hall of Famers. So, you know, Carl is following along a path that you would want out of your number one overall pick. In fact, if you sign your number one overall pick to a max contract, um, you got to feel pretty good about it. It means you did pretty well because, by the way, go back and take a look. There were number one overall picks that – you know, didn't even get second contracts with their team. You know, Anthony Bennett being one of them. Um, so, you know, that's a good thing. When I look at Anthony, when I look at Carl, though, what I what I don't see is a guy like Anthony Davis. I look at Anthony Davis and say he is a number one, and you need to get him supporting players, but he can win the MVP and he can carry a team to a championship. He hasn't done that yet, but my God, do I think that he can? Uh, I look at, at Carl Towns, and I see a guy who may be closer to John Wall. Stud, multi-time all-star, probably is going to go through that. I don't know if he can be the best player on a team. If, he, if Carl Towns is your best player, whether you're going to be a championship contender. And really, that's what you're looking for. That's what this whole game is about. You're looking to acquire one of those dudes. That when he's on your team, you have a chance to win. You have a chance to win every single year. I don't mean to win that winning record. I mean the whole thing. Durant, Curry, LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis. In my opinion, is is getting into that. There, we're watching with bated breath on Giannis. We think Giannis may be headed there. He's not there yet. This is the type of talent you're hoping to get. I don't know if that's if that's get. He may be in the second echelon, which is great, which is awesome. You want to have that guy. You're happy to have him but isn't the guy that's going to maybe take you to the gold trophy. Hey, hey Brian, Brian Windhorst is with us here from ESPN, ESPN NBA Insider. Uh, it's Mackie and Judd with Manny Hill. To your knowledge, who were some of the players the Wolves came the closest to accepting in a deal for Jimmy Butler? Uh, there's no way they were doing the deal that didn't have Josh Richardson in it. 
So whatever they got to the brink of and then backed out of it, it had to include Josh Richardson. Um, you know, whatever you know, whatever the ballast was, whatever you know, because there's a lot of money there that has to change hands. Obviously, whether it was Kelly Olenek or or whomever else, um, Josh Richardson, uh, you know, was the uh, was my understanding. You know, was in the deal. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of hard because it, you know, if, if you called you know Pat Riley and Andy Ellsberg from the, the heat to the stand, you know, there were probably many other iterations. But um, you know, he's worth more to Miami than he is to another team because Miami is not going to have cap space. It's not like Miami can move on to player B or player C. They're not going to have an opportunity to get this guy. This is the only way they can play the free agency game. And Jimmy was willing to sign there, which meant that it increased uh, his value. So, um, you know, that's why there was this sort of leverage game being played back and forth. The Heat saying, you don't have anybody else who will give you anything like, like this because Jimmy won't sign, you know, like, they can't do a deal with the Sacramento Kings. They can't do a deal, um, you know, probably with the Charlotte Hornets because Jimmy's not going to want to resign there. So that narrows it down. Then you have the Heat. They don't have any other place to get. So you have this, this weird leverage game that's being played back and forth. That's why I go back to what I said at the start, which is this is not a fertile situation for trade making. Wendy, I, I, I asked this question to Darren Wolfson, who you know pretty well, yesterday. Um, I mean, because there's two questions here, I guess. One is, does Tom Thibodeau want to trade Jimmy Butler, which I think we all know the answer to that. It's no. But I guess the second and better question would be, is he willing to trade Jimmy Butler? And I'm not sure about that either. It's, it, it, it's you know, you're asking a really good question that you'd love to have uh, a black and white answer. I I think it's shades of gray. I mean, I think he would trade him. But I think the the, the, the threshold to, to get him there is pretty pretty tight, pretty narrow. Even if they had gotten what they wanted from Miami, like let's say they make their dream trade for Miami, they're not getting back a player as good as Jimmy Butler. Right Now, in three years, will Josh Richardson be a better player to have than Jimmy Butler when he's making like $12 million and Jimmy's making $35 million? That's a different discussion, and that's why another team in another situation may make that trade. May say, "Hell yeah, I'll take it." You know, it'll make us. We may win three less games this year, but I'll love us in 2021. Well, Tom Thibodeau can't worry about 2021-22. If they miss the playoffs this year, he's probably getting fired. Yeah. So yep. this is why it's just much more complicated than that. You mean your, your question is really a good question, but I don't think it's that simple, which is why we don't have a trade. Hey, great stuff. Wendy, we'll talk to you uh, sometime down there. I'm sure this won't be the last time the Timberwolves come up. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Have a great See weekend. Bye-bye. Brian Windhorst from ESPN and ESPN.com. Let's go, let Manny's four deep thoughts from the game last night. And also, we're going to talk to Adrian Heath before the hour is over, the football hour with Matthew Collar and Tom Pelissero. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN, we now present Manny Hill's Four Deep Thoughts. Wow. Wow. All right, gentlemen. Oh, we have an intro for this. Oh, yeah. This this goes back to the Ride with Roycey days. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Absolutely. This was a Monday Boy. bit. Every every Monday was Manny, Manny's Four Deep Thoughts. Nice. 
It uh, used to be Manny's four deep thoughts on on the NFL, but then we expanded it after football season was over and just four deep thoughts on anything on any on the weekend in sports. Usually on on, uh, on Mondays. So well, let's uh, this probably piggybacks off Brian Windhorst because it's Wolves related. But if you yeah. missed Brian Windhorst, he was wonderful. And it'll be available on demand anywhere you would find Mackie and Judd on your smartphone, Apple Podcasts, 1500 ESPN mobile app, or just the website, 1500 ESPN.com. But four deep thoughts with Manny Hill. All right, let's start with number one. What did you feel like the difference was down the stretch? Probably the rebounding. You know, that, that probably got us, uh, you know, not getting to loose balls. You know, the. The call that got overturned was probably, you know, that was one we should have had. Okay, so Tom Thibodeau's right. Rebounding was a problem last night. But I guess my my complaint is, I, first of all, I predicted that it would he would answer the question like that beforehand. I tweeted out, it's probably going to be something like, would the rebounding hurt us? And sure enough, in his postgame, Marnie Gellner asked him the question, what was the difference last night? Probably the rebounding. And rebounding was a problem last night, but my complaint is, what are you going to do about it? Like, don't just, after every game, don't just tell us what the problem yeah. is. Tell, tell us what you need to do to get better at it. And I don't want to hear, we got to be tougher. Dude, we got to work harder. what you're going to hear. I love that you brought this up because Tom Thibodeau is a master at telling you what the problem is. And he's terrible at telling you how to fix the problem. Right. Or educating or explaining or teaching whatever it is that you do as a leader in that spot, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, here's the problem. We know! He wants you, he is uh, a a disciple of a football coach in the sense that he wants you to know that he's not going to tell you what the fix is because he's confident he's got it and he never does. Yeah, pretty much. Because, Because you get that from football people, but sometimes, guess what? They go back and look at the film and then they've got the answer to try and fix it. Zimmer sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Tibbs gives you the Belichickian, uh, you know, uh, we're on to the Cavaliers. Okay, but are you doing something? And then he does nothing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Number two. Oh, this production Just right committed now. $190 million to Carl Anthony Towns, and tonight he wasn't a priority, and he was affected. No matter what anybody says, I watched him play tonight. He was invisible on the court. He took one shot in the fourth quarter. He actually had more offensive fouls than field goal attempts in the fourth quarter. Ooh. Now, some of that was foul trouble in minutes, like I said, but a part of it was Jimmy Butler's there. He's playing his normal game. Wiggins looked normal. Towns was the guy that was affected, and Towns has been the guy that's been targeted and singled out in this whole thing. And you've already given him the money. Yeah. The number one priority for them right now has to also be make sure Carl Anthony Towns is progressing. We have to take care of this guy and protect him and, and make sure that he can trust us. We have his back and we want him to develop. He's really important to us. Tonight, at least for one game, that wasn't the case. 22 minutes, six fouls, eight points, nine rebounds for Carl Anthony Towns last night. In what? And six shots? Six shots. Yes. Two, of, two of six from the field. Yes. And, I mean, listen, you've you got to find a way to get And, look, the fouls and everything... That's on him, okay? That's on him. He's got to find a way to defend without fouling and not pick up dumb, stupid, cheap fouls, illegal screens and things like that. But you got to get him involved. you got to find a way to get him shots and get him get, get him to be productive for you. Because, you, Phil, you brought this up before. Okay, fine, yeah. They're not that good with, when Jimmy Butler's not there, but they're also not very good when Carl Anthony Towns isn't there. Now, he's played every game. But you saw last night, 
He only played 22 minutes, and that cost you the game. Yeah, it cost you the game. Yep, you brought it's it's, I mean, it's one game, but I mean, you, Anthony Tolliver was brought in to snipe three pointers. Right, you brought this dude in, and he was gonna Anthony yes. Tolliver was one of the best three point shooters in the NBA last year, and he's one of the most efficient scorers in terms of just like points per shot attempts and free throws and stuff. So you could say maybe your two most efficient efficient scorers, not mm-hmm. best, but efficient scorers, are Tolliver and Towns, and they had seven shot attempts combined last night in 42 minutes. Which, That's not enough. And you, but, but you know what? Here's the problem. And I told Manny this in hour one. He keeps bringing common sense to, to conversations invol- involving <laughs> a guy who has no common sense. When, when were things going to change during an offseason in which you were trying to put out the Jimmy Butler fire constantly? During an exhibition season and preseason where Jimmy Butler practiced four times, nothing's going to change here. Nothing. You can sign Tolliver, and that's nice. And okay, he might shoot threes because when he gets on the court, he says he's going to. But guess what? In Tom Thibodeau's world, nothing's going to change here. They they have and they showed nothing during the off season that would take you down that path mm-hmm. because everything was focused on how do I make Jimmy happy? I love you guys because. Number three. And and there is no highlight for it because my number three thought was the fact that Anthony Tolliver had no highlights last night because he played 19 <laughs> minutes, took one shot. He went, you brought him in to shoot threes, and the one shot he took was not a three-point shot. He pulled a Mike Miller. He yeah. pulled a Mike Miller last night. <laughs> Just dribbling around, doing nothing. He had to be thinking to himself, what have I done to myself? But why? Why, why am I why, here? Why, wait, if you're if Anthony Tolliver was if Anthony Tolliver's on the floor for 19 minutes, what what other than setting some screens and like you're literally on the roster to shoot three pointers. Mm-hmm. So if you if you don't shoot five three pointers, you're fined from now on. Okay, every <laughs> game you play in that doesn't result in five or more three point attempts, you're fined a thousand dollars. But I also Go. but I also wonder if this head coach is running a system. Because the Wolves were dead last in three-point attempts and makes last year. So I wonder wonder if part of this is just this head coach just doesn't value the three-point shot. Do you you think they have three-point lines in practice at the the downtown Mayo Clinic Square facility? No, he scrubbed them. Did he scrub them off? He scrubbed them off himself. (laughs) He personally got down on his hands and knees and scrubbed them off. Do they have those weird-looking trapezoid-shaped lanes that they used to have way back? (laughs) Or remember way back in the day when you watch old-timey-time George Mikan footage and the lane Mm. was like two feet wide? The key. It's all grainy and black and white. (laughs) That's, That's... that's what it looks like. Inside Anthony Tolliver is saying, you know what? I should never have signed with this bunch of bleeps. 43% last year, and he took one shot, yeah. and it wasn't even a three. But I think you're right. I, th- I think you're right. I think it's just so screwed up, and Tibbs is so goofed up that he probably is out, out there thinking to himself, all right, then give me the ball. All right, number four. Go. Number four. Is probably the most egregious crime last night of all. Derrick Rose powers his way. <laughs> Davis Patons oh, gives it off to Mills. DeRozan with 14 seconds to go. Shot clock turned off. They tried to foul, but not hard enough. DeRozan still dribbling around with 7.8. Oh, no, what no. is Minnesota doing? All you have to worry about is getting it over half court, but then you see the Wolves, they just don't know what to do. Not on the same page. No, nope. Wiggins. DeMar had that ball in the backcourt. He should have fouled him instantly. They do. Not, this is the problem. They know exactly what to do. They know exactly who's empowered. The old timers. 
Tibbs' collection of old timers are completely no. They're doing they're doing exactly what Tibbs still thinks is a good thing. What not fouling? What do you what do you mean? Letting ten seconds run off the clock yeah. and uh, and Rose. But Rose took that last shot. Like everything that they do is people who are empowered. It's the wrong people. I think Wiggins, yeah. in fairness, I, I feel like Wiggins, that was the, the portion of the fourth quarter where he usually falls asleep a little bit. So <laughs> it, it's on someone to go over and just nudge him. Hey, hey, hey. But, what was, but that last shot by Rose that Rose yeah, put up, it didn't surprise was, me one bit. And it was an egregious shot. Yeah. Well, that, that was just chaos because they were trying to run some sort of a two-man game with Butler and Teague. And the Spurs sort of blew that up, bottled it up. And Jimmy just sort of threw it out to Derrick Rose. And then Rose just drove in and threw up a wild whatever the hell that was. And yeah. Hey, Corzo said it best on Twitter last night. Oh. I, if you aren't following Scott Korzanowski during Timberwolves games, you're welcome. Go follow him. <laughs> yeah. It's entertainment. And, uh, and he nailed it. Derrick Rose plays like his basketball shorts are on fire still. He has the energy of the Derrick Rose from eight years ago. He's out there. He's running around. The problem is... He's just not good anymore. <laughs> he can't shoot. Three he doesn't really defend, night. but he plays with energy. So, learn that. Those are he four. plays hard. He plays with toughness. Yeah, he's he's, a, he's yeah. a hockey player. He's a third-line winger. He's digging in the corners. What more do you guys want? Oh, man. Those are four deep thoughts from Manny Hill on the Wolves game last night. Oh, so close to a road win against San Antonio. Football hours coming up in about 15 minutes. It includes Tom Pelissero and Matthew Collar. We'll catch up with our friend Adrian Heath. We're going to put 50,000 people inside TCF Bank Stadium for uh, the final Minnesota United FC game. He also has thoughts on all kinds of other things, always, that we can catch up with. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd. On 1500 ESPN. All right, back here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Let's uh, take a quick check on your traffic. 35E northbound near Vadnais Heights. Uh, We have a crash that is causing about a 29-minute delay northbound on 35E. That is uh, because the crash has the roadway reduced to one lane. Look for a 29-minute delay. So if uh, you're headed... Northbound on 35E near Vadnais Heights. Prepare for a long wait. Nice. Thanks, Manny. And, uh, you know, we're feeling generous on the show today. We're going to give away some hockey tickets throughout the rest of the show. We're going to give away wild tickets in the 5 o'clock hour. That's right. We're going to give away wild tickets in the football hour. Oh, mind-blowing, yeah. But right now we have a four-pack of tickets to see the Gopher hockey team in action on Saturday to caller number five, six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. You get a four pack of tickets. You don't have to do any work for it. Parking Not pass, trivia question, and a parking pass. Very nice. See the Gopher hockey. Who are they playing on Saturday? Uh, Trinity Western. Okay, vaunted Trinity Western. They're free tickets. Okay. Yes. Uh, but Adrian Heath, we are uh, we're hoping to put fifty thousand people inside TCF Bank Stadium on Saturday for the final home game before the new stadium. Uh, what's the vibe going to be like? Oh, hold on. There we, gonna be there we go. Now we got Mackie. you. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you now. We got you now. Fire away. Uh, yeah, I just hope he's going to be like he's been with 25,000 in there because we've had a great atmosphere all season. You know, it's been a good home for us for a couple of years. We're going against, you know, the, the a team that's been probably the standard bearer 
of uh, of the league for, for maybe 10 years. And it's a game they have to win. So it's going to be a terrific game. And I know I just hope we, as a staff and players, can put a performance on that warrants the 50-odd thousand who are going to come and support us again. What are people going to uh, find, too, as far as the fan experience goes, when you go from playing in, in a football stadium, which is fine, it's nice, but it's de- it's definitely designed for our our football here to a stadium that's designed for your football, Adrian? I think, first and foremost, it's going to be the noise, the noise experience and the, the proximity, the closeness to the field. You feel as though you're part of it. I think the great thing about soccer is, you know, it's so such a moving sport. It's continuous. And I just think people get wrapped up in it. And, you know, I know that the way our supporters have been in PCF Bank. You imagine 22,000 in, in, a, in a football-specific stadium that's, you know, that's been designed to keep the noise in the stadium. And, you know, the rake of the stands to be as intimidating as possible. So, you know, I was over there the other day, guys, and, I, I, you know, to our supporters, you're in for a treat when they get to see this new stadium, yeah. when they get in and see exactly what, what, what it, what's on offer. Yeah, I heard beer garden one time, and I was sold. Those are really the only two words I needed to hear, Adrian. Beer and garden. Beer, garden, and a bit of football. What more could you ask for, guys? I know, you know? I know. Hey, all right. I, I, sort of a random question for you because I did see uh, that they were that the, the U.S. men's national team was back in action here this week. From your pers- uh-huh. from your perspective, what does the U.S. men's national team need to do? This is probably such you could probably talk for two hours about this, but what what are the main things that the U.S. men's national team needs to do from top down to get back to relevance and also to become at least somewhat of a world power at some point? Well, I think the first and foremost, they've got to get a coach. I think this has gone on too long. I understand that it's, you know, it's probably going to be, I'd, I'm I'm surmising, it might be Greg Berhalter, and you want to see him finish the season at Columbus. I think he will be a good choice. Um, I've got a lot of faith in this current crop of young players that are being produced by the U.S. Soccer Federation. I really think that there is some real talent there. And I think Greg would be a really good coach. He's, he's very much a hands-on coach. He wants to work with young players. He wants to improve them individually and collectively. Um, so I think he would be a good hire. Um, and I think then they have to stick to the plan. You know, most of the teams now in the MLS are all, us included at Minnesota, we, we've got the academies up and running now. We're starting to produce talented footballers technically gifted footballers the, the, you know the country's always produced athletes so now if we can marry the two and get these big strong athletic kids the more and more are now you know turning to soccer as their sport of choice if we can if we can harness all that together um i think it's going to be um very bright future for soccer in this country where has your team, in your mind, made strides from last year, and where do you still think the most strides now need to be made going from uh, 2018 to 2019, Adrian? Well, I think that if we, if, you know, I'm going to say this, and it might sound like an excuse, but if we'd have had a full complement of players, you know, our strength and depth has not been really good enough to be able to cope with three of our better players not being fit for virtually the whole season. And then, then we have international call-ups. You know, we've been, at stages, we've been out without seven of our, what would be our starting 11 on the field. So that's been a problem. So we have to get a little bit stronger in depth. Our own form has been terrific. I think it's the second best in the MLS. 
but the you know the elephant in the room for me is the one that you know our waveform has been so poor, and I have to take responsibility for that. I'm aware of that, so we have to get better there. You know, with our home record, if we'd have been, you know, we won one away game and we drawn a couple of games, but if we if we'd have just got two or three wins on the on more wins on the road, which we're certainly capable of with the players we've got, then we'd be still in this playoff race. So that's the area that we have to really concentrate on in the off season. Is it is it the way we play? Is it the individuals we've got, or is it the makeup of the group? And I think it might be a little bit of a, an accumulation of all them three things, but. That's certainly my focus moving into the end of this season and moving into the beginning of next. Hey, as we as we say goodbye to the TCF Bank Stadium era of Minnesota United soccer, when you be oh. honest now, when when you found out that there was going to be this transition period until there was going to be an actual soccer stadium and you were going to be playing in kind of a makeshift setup, what were your thoughts before you played a game? And now that you've played two full seasons and you've put twenty plus thousand people in there, what are your thoughts now? Well, I, I, I've been through it already down in Orlando. You know, we yeah. we played at the Citrus Bowl for, you know, for a, two or three years down there before we went into MLS, and we had a, you know, we had a, a couple of years in the MLS as well with it. So, I was aware what it was going to be. And the most important thing is that you have to make the most of it. That's the situation. You know, you are going to play here for whether it be a year, whether it be for two years. Don't moan about it. You know, in an ideal world, you'd love a grass field, you'd love your own soccer-specific stadium. But that's not been the case. And when I look back, it's been a really good home for us. Our home record, our home form in the last two years has been as good as most teams in the MLS. So it's been a good home for us. We're all looking forward to getting into that new stadium. But uh, I'm really looking forward to the weekend. And hopefully the players can give the stadium and our supporters a send-off that it's deserved because it's been a really good home for us for two years. Yeah, Sunday right here on 1500 ESPN, or you can also just stop by uh, the stadium in person. But Sunday, usually Saturday games on the weekends, this is a Sunday game, which you can find right here on 1500 ESPN immediately after Vikings vent line is over at 4 o'clock. Adrian Heath, we'll talk soon, man. Anytime, guys. Thank you. All right, that's uh, Adrian Heath. He is the head coach of Minnesota United and friend of the show. I believe they're trying to break a the um, record for a soccer match in this town, which was at Met Stadium. It might have been a Kicks Cosmos game, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Back in the day when I was far too young to drink and everyone around me was drunk at Kicks games. Cosmos? Where are they from? New York Cosmos. New York Cosmos? Pele played for them. Oh, yeah. Pele okay. was, uh, at the end of his career, came here in the North American Soccer League and played for them. That's when the Kicks... That might have been back when they had free parking, and um, let's just say lots of fans went, and for an extended period of time before they <laughs> before security made them go inside the stadium, they'd go to the games and tailgate and never go into the game. <laughs> that's sad. We didn't frown like on the like Brewers games, actually. We didn't frown on games. drunk driving in the 70s like we do now, so I think uh, I don't think there was a, de- a designated driver back in No, what days. was the deal back in the... I've heard stories back in the 70s and the 80s where you get, you get pulled over and you might be half passed out, and rather than you being in deep, deep, you know what, Guess they, would just, like, they would just sort of trail you home. That's how that worked? Oh, or they yeah. would give you a ride home? And yeah, I think you... and I think... You might have gotten in trouble, but I don't think you got in big trouble. The 494 Strip, which is legendary for people going to games and players driving up and down in the bars there, the Rusty Scupper. The Rusty Scupper? The Rusty Scupper. I I once was such a sports geek that my mom (laughs) took me to the Rusty Scupper because back in the day, 
Ted Robinson, who had a show on the old AM 1500, was doing a remote. So I went and watched it at the Rusty Scupper. Is this a, was the Rusty Scupper a dive bar, or how would you how would you characterize? I would it? say it was a nightclub type bar. I don't think it was a dive. It was okay, but you had the Rusty Scupper out there. You had Lincoln Dell, which was fantastic. You had uh, Chi-Chi's. Chi-Chi's. Maxim, yeah, which I, I believe. I used to love Chi-Chi's when I was a kid. Me too, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, that started as Maximilian's, which was Max McGee, the former Packers place. And then I think he he was, he and his buddy started Chi-Chi's then. Oh, yeah. For the 484 strip was a complete circus. <laughs> uh, Matthew Collar is going to kick off. See what I did there? The football hour. It's going to kick yeah, off the football great. hour. Yeah, it was very Got collar-like. Eat. Yep. He's going to kick off the football hour. Right. And Tom Pelissero will also football. be part of it. Now uh, we come back to Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN.